0: Hello, my name is Steve Donovan, and welcome to Dive Info Lifeline. Information is your lifeline. Welcome to our first full podcast called Nobody Heard My Screams. Research has shown over the last 30 years, approximately 52 occupational divers were killed in the workplace. Only eight of them had voice communications to call for help. The overall fatality rate during the same period is approximately 173 per 100,000. This is about eight times more than a construction worker. In Canada, we have two diving modes, occupational scuba and surface supply. Occupational scuba represents approximately 10 to 15% of the workplace, but represents approximately 85% of the fatalities. Scuba equipment should only be used when there is a low risk to the diver of getting hurt. Scuba diving should not be used in conditions of poor visibility, strong water currents, or when there's a high risk of decompression sickness. Scuba should not be used when there's a risk of entanglement or entrapment, shouldn't be used when you're using power tools or high-pressure water jetting, should not be used on a construction site, and the list goes on. In the conditions I just mentioned, the use of surface-applied diving mode mitigates, in most cases, these hazards to an acceptable level just because they have surface-supply equipment on. A scuba diver can be compared to someone working on a roof. Without fall protection. Everything is okay until you fall. The scuba diver has a limited supply of air, is typically lacking proper airway protection, and in many cases, communication is inadequate, which certainly has an effect on how well you can supervise the diver. A surface supply diver has almost an unlimited supply of air. Their airway is protected. They have voice communications. In fact, if a surface-supplied diver's voice communication should shut down, they abort the dive. I started out as an occupational scuba diver, trained as a combat diver in the Royal Canadian Engineers. I left the Army to become a commercial scuba diver. During this time, I worked on major power-generating plants in Colson Cove, Point Pro and Magnaquac Dam in New Brunswick. I also worked on the Churchill Falls Power Facility in Labrador and did a stint in the North Sea as a mixed gas diver. I remember on one occasion working on a power dam and having to hold on to the grate so I wouldn't get pulled into the adjacent intake. I pulled myself to the surface, told the supervisor I had to hold on to the grating with one hand because I was being pulled towards the intake. I said, it's crazy down there. And his only response was, if you can't do it, we'll get someone else. On many occasions, we had to dive by ourselves, had no standby diver. Emergency air and lifelines were non-existent. We would bring our concerns to the boss, and nothing would happen. And when we would complain to the authorities, it seemed to go on deaf ears. I can remember one evening listening to an advertisement reaching out to previous members of the military, such as myself. Given the conditions at work, I was constantly facing high-risk situations, so I decided to apply and rejoin the military. Shortly after, when we were driving home from a job, I broke the news to my dive partner. We worked on many jobs together and looked out for each other. He was happy for me, but concerned for himself. Because we worked so well together and were constantly looking out for each other. He said he was going to miss me and hoped he'd find somebody soon to fill my spot. I told him I'm sure he would find someone, but I could not keep doing this. That was the last time I seen him. Months later, he died alone while carrying out a hull search on a vessel in the St. John Harbor. He came to the surface, called for help, and they found his body one week later. I thought to myself, only if people would have listened to our concerns. My partner, Freddie Jackson, died over 40 years ago. And since then, there's been significant changes with commercial divers. Eventually, the industry began to understand the high risk involved when diving in scuba. The demand for scuba diver has been increasing in some sectors. With this, we're seeing an increase in diving incidents. The scuba diver is diving deeper and longer than ever before resulting with the increase of decompression sickness, along with other diving ailments. Our industry has never experienced this frequency of decompression sickness. In 2018, I was speaker at the Canadian Underwater Conference in Vancouver, B.C. And for the last segment of the conference, there was a discussion period dealing with the question, should scuba diving be dropped from occupational diving? I can remember when the panel got together on the stage, there was about six panel members. The panel was introduced, and at the end, the speaker described the discussion and ended by saying, should we or should we not accept scuba diving as part of occupational diving? I could hear the statement coming from one of the panel members, F. Scuba. Shortly after, a number of people got up and expressed their displeasure with scuba diving equipment. I stood up, addressed the panel, and suggested there is a place for occupational scuba, but it's limited. I also made the point we should be helping the scuba divers because we've been through it. Occupational scuba diving has fallen through the cracks over the years, and it was obvious by this discussion there was little interest to help the scuba diver. Recently, I was asked to carry out some investigations of some recent serious diving incidents with occupational scuba. Two of the incidents had to deal with serious decompression sickness, while another diver was almost killed being struck by a ship's propeller. I also had a diver send me a 25-page statement highlighting all the issues he faced while on this occupational scuba diving operation. He got caught on one occasion in a mechanical hoist, and on another occasion, he got entangled in the netting, and he is lucky to be alive today. The recent incidents that I investigated, I reviewed their diving plans, operational manuals, if they had one, and safe work procedures, and found them all to be lacking in many respects. Although the dive supervisors and divers were certified in Canada, I concluded that the dive supervisor was so weak that I recommended to relieve the supervisor of his duties until he could demonstrate a level of knowledge adequate to carry out the work safely. Parts of our industry seem to be regressing, not progressing with diving safety. For example, removed from the Canadian standards was the restriction for scuba divers not to be allowed to work on construction sites or industrial sites. They also removed live boating as a restriction for scuba diving. And the scuba diver now was allowed to work in some contaminated environments. Again, we are regressing, not progressing. Many of our provincial diving regulations and our Canadian standards, are not representative of today's underwater workplace. For example, when it comes to voice communications, the Association of Diving Contractors International, ADCI, requires scuba divers to have voice communications. Occupational scuba divers in the United Kingdom require voice communications. Ireland requires voice communications. Singapore Ministry of Manpower requires scuba divers to have voice communications when they're working underwater. The most effective way to communicate underwater is by voice. How many of those divers that died in our research over the past 30 years, if they had the opportunity to ask for help, they'd be around today? Based upon the reports my colleagues and I have reviewed, along with the investigations I carried out, they strongly suggest occupational scuba has fallen through the standards and compliance cracks. Misinformation, I say again, misinformation or the lack of information is key to why our industry is in such a bad state. More must be done by our decision makers and our industry to assure that those giving advice are competent to do so. Our diving leadership must embrace, not vilify those that challenge what is safe. Stop making it so hard for those that you do not agree with from participating. Our industry has some very good divers and dive supervisors. Our leadership needs to be more aggressive, including them. This is the main reason for this podcast. Colleagues and myself are frustrated and exhausted trying to bring the message forward. We also want to reach out to anybody that wants to participate. Some of our future podcasts that you can look forward to, we'll be discussing subjects such as what to look for when hiring a diving contractor, what is the difference between certified and competent, who are the real experts, workplace compliance, dive planning, hazard identification, risk assessment, VSA job safety analysis, safety training, and the list goes on. Remember, awareness and access to the right information is our lifeline. Thanks for listening to Dive Info Lifeline. Remember, Being informed is being aware.